0: Good morning, Big Woods family members, um, friends, and guests, we're glad that you're here this morning. It's um, good to have the the Chryslam folks with us, I remember my time at um, Camp Friedenswald in Cassopolis, Michigan, and it was a wonderful time of um, just interacting with, with campers and um, I remember there was a time I was called to give an invitation message at a campfire and people responded, but afterwards the camp director said, Mark, that really wasn't your best message. And it was an important reminder to me that, you know, God is capable beyond what we do. And sometimes when we stumble, he uses it for his glory. And sometimes when we think we really got it perfect, it's not really all that good. So my prayer this morning as I um, preach while Pastor Tim is on vacation, and you can be praying for, for them, um, is that God will use the words that I speak to open his word to us. And I'm going to ask us to start this morning with a little bit of um, participation. And if you don't want to do this, it's okay. You can you know kind of cross your arms and look down and, No one will bother you, and it's fine. You can sort of meditate on this question, but I'd like you to think of someone who has influenced you, maybe a camp counselor, or maybe a teacher, a coach at some point, a pastor, someone who has spoken into your life, and you found yourself maybe echoing their words at a certain occasion. You've um, said something like, yeah, I know where that came from, or you've done something, and you've seen the imprint of that person who influenced you on it. So... um, Take just a couple moments and if you like, turn to someone next to you and maybe talk about um, someone who's been an influence in your life. Okay, take another um, couple moments to finish a thought and then I'll call us back together. So I'm going to use um, an example this morning of, of an influence in my life, musically speaking. And let me say at the outset, I don't agree with this person's worldview expressed in all their songs. Some songs I vehemently disagree with the worldview expressed, but the um, author of songs such as blowing in the wind, all along the watchtower, like a rolling stone, gotta serve somebody and saved, is someone who has um, influenced my, the way I sing, the way I play harmonica, um, more rhythmically than melodically. And um, it's easier that way too, is a is secret. But, but Bob Dylan is a musician that has influenced me, and if you listen when I'm playing something, singing something, and the few songs I've written, if you listen carefully, you can hear the influence of of Bob Dylan in that music. Now, Peter, the author of the letter we're working through in this series, um, chose a much better influence than Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan famously sang, it ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me you're looking for, and he's right. The one everyone in their heart is really looking for is a creator, redeemer, and sustainer of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. And this is the one who found Peter. Peter was called by the Lord Jesus Christ to be an apostle. We see in Peter's letter very clear influences of Jesus' teaching. Of course, as all scripture does, Peter's letter points to Jesus, but in a very special way, Peter reflects the actual words he heard Jesus speak when Jesus walked on earth. The teachings that Peter gave in response to questions, or that Jesus gave in response to questions that Peter asked, parables that were told that Peter heard with his ears and treasured in his heart. This morning, I want to look at a couple of Jesus' stories that relate to the text we're going to be studying, 1 Peter 4, 7-11. First, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you for life. Thank you for your way of salvation. Thank you for the young people who led us in worship this morning. Thank you that we can freely approach you because of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that this morning you would fulfill your scripture, that I would speak the words you have for these people at this time. Lord, that I would be out of the way and that you would speak to our hearts. Um, Lord, I pray for any here who have not yet received your gift of salvation, I pray that this would be the day that they would hear the good news, that there is life and forgiveness in eternity in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, use this time for your purposes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So our series is called Stand in Christ, on Christ, and for Christ. And a recap of what we've seen so far, We've seen as we're in Christ, we have the gift of salvation, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, kept in heaven for us. As we receive what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we have something more precious than silver or gold, something that can never be taken away. We've seen that successful believers standing on Christ live submissive lives. We submit to authority, we honor everyone, We submit to leaders, we submit to one another, we submit to God's will. And sometimes God's will includes that we will suffer as we stand for Christ. And Peter says that it's a good thing, if it be God's will, to suffer for doing good. When we suffer, later in next week we'll see as Aaron preaches, that the spirit of glory and of grace rests upon us when we suffer for the name of Christ. Last week, Pastor Tim talked about how we are to live differently in light of the coming judgment. The world lives in dissipation, in forgetting, in intoxication. We're to live differently, knowing that everyone will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We will be maligned. We won't be understood, but as we stand for Christ, we are anticipating something greater that is to come which brings us to our text this morning, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, which I'll be reading from the English Standard Version translation. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. So there's an outline in your bulletin if you would care to use it. Um, There's some blanks to fill in with the three main points. I will get to the first point now. In the light of the end of all things, we should be a sober steward of God's grace. The call is to be a sober steward of God's grace. Now I talked about Peter hearing the words of Jesus, and there's a connection between Peter's letter and a parable Jesus told that I think is very applicable for the subject Peter is treating, the end of all things, and the need to be self-controlled and sober-minded in light of that. It's in Luke 12, 35, and if you want to have one finger in Luke 12 while we look at 1 Peter 4, there's an expression that Jesus uses in Luke 12, 35. The English Standard Version says, "Be ready. stay dressed for action. Jesus' command to his disciples, stay dressed for action. You see, there's a text note, if you have an ESV, and it gives that the Greek for that expression is, let your loins stay girded. If you um, have a King James translation, I think it actually just says, let your loins stay girded. That's the the Greek idiom expression. Now, what what does that mean? Well, I heard during the Q&A the idea that you have a long robe and it's not real easy to run. It's not real easy to to take action with this robe hanging down. So if you're girding your loins, you kind of gather your robe, tuck it into your coat, and then you're ready to go. So be dressed for action, be ready to go. Um, Exodus 12, when the Israelites were preparing to eat the Passover, they were instructed to do so with their loins girded, to be ready to go, ready to leave Egypt, go into the promised land. And I liked the the Pharaoh, Pharaoh that we sang this morning that was fun and a reminder of um, the great thing God did in in delivering his people. But Peter uses the same expression in 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that preparing your minds for action, according to the text note in Greek, it's literally let the loins of your mind stay girded, or gird up the loins of your mind. So be ready, be prepared for action, be ready to go, because the grace will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter is talking about the end of all things, the return of the Lord Jesus. And that is the point of the story that Jesus told in Luke twelve 35. We'll go back there, and I will read his parable. Luke twelve thirty-five. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. So Jesus tells a story about expecting his return. As Peter says in our text in verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. Now, Jesus says it may be the second or the third watch of the night, which the Holman Christian Standard Version translates as the middle of the night or even near dawn. It's coming at an hour when we do not expect. And Jesus repeats that for emphasis in this passage of Luke. We don't know exactly when Jesus is going to return, but the clear teaching throughout scripture is he is returning and he is returning at hand. Soon, it's near. It'll still be a surprise, but we always have to be prepared. We have to be ready. We have to be awake, expecting his return and ready to answer when he knocks to call us to the wedding feast. We're not living awake, We're not living expectantly if we're passed out drunk. We're not awake if we engage in the flood of debauchery that Peter describes in verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4 that we talked about last week. The sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. When we're intoxicated with the things of this life to the exclusion of a focus, a sobriety on God's word, We're not ready, we're not awake. Now, Jesus answers Peter's question, who's this for, with a question. It's kind of like, well, if the shoe fits, wear it. Who then is the wise and faithful manager? If it's you, then it applies to you. If you're willing to be wise and faithful, then this is for you. It's for everyone who will hear as Jesus often said, let he who has ears hear. Jesus also tells a story. He answers a question with a question, and then he tells a story. There's a lot of power in stories. When David sinned in Second Samuel chapter 12, God sent the prophet Nathan to him, not with a direct condemnation right off the bat, but with a story. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, and tried to cover it up. Now Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen says, he who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. David had not positioned himself to receive mercy. David had done something according to the law, deserving of death, for which there was no kill two doves, and that makes it right. David had done something truly wicked, truly horrible, truly deserving of death, and he was trying to get away with it. Nathan came and told him the story of a rich man who had almost everything and a poor man who had one ewe lamb that was a pet that was with the poor man's family. And the rich man took the poor man's pet And killed it to have a meal. And David burned with anger when he heard the story and said, whoever did that deserves to die. And Nathan said, you are the man. The story got through to David. And David was cut to the heart. He recognized his need for the grace of God. What can only be covered by the love and sacrifice of God. No sacrifice and offering David could offer would cover this sin. He needed to know how desperate, how wicked what he had done was and how desperate his need was for grace. And David repented. Jesus' story talks about what the faithful and wise manager is to do. And if we see ourselves in this story, we see our responsibility is to give the fellow servants their food at the proper time. Um, the word translated manager in Luke 12, is the same word that's translated stewards in 1 Peter 4.10. So again, looking at 1 Peter 4.10, it says, we are to, um, in verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Again, good stewards, good managers. A steward or a manager handles something that's not their own. It's something that's entrusted to them by someone greater. And good stewards of God's grace handle God's grace with care, with respect, with humility. Giving food to the servants at their proper time. What is the food for the people of God? I'm sure in a gathering this size, someone knows the answer from um, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness he responded to the temptation to turn stones to bread. Can someone um, tell me what he said? Man not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen. Thank you, Kimber. Man shall not live by bread alone, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Our food is the word of God. God's revelation to us of his character, his holiness, his justice, and his love. And the good steward of God's grace gives the word of God to God's people. There's a strong warning here in Jesus' story. Those who are entrusted with leadership of the people of God who do not give food, but instead abuse God's people and get drunk and lose sight, lose focus of eternity. Jesus says the unfaithful false teacher will be cut in pieces and assigned a place with the unfaithful. However, as we are good stewards of God's grace, as we are wise and humble and faithful to God's word, Jesus says that he himself will be our servant. He himself will serve us the word of God. In verse 37, which is at the bottom of your outline, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. So we need grace. We need God's grace to cover our sin. We need to be good managers giving out that grace. And this leads to our second point. We need to love one another and so cover sin. Love one another and and so cover sin. In our text, 1 Peter 4 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, the question we might ask is, whose sins? Whose multitude of sins is covered by love? To answer this, I'd like to look to another story that Jesus told in response to a question Peter asked. It's in Matthew 18. Verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. "'Pay what you owe.' "'So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, "'Have patience with me, and I will pay you.' "'He refused and went and put him in prison "'until he should pay the debt. "'When his fellow servant saw what had taken place, "'they were greatly distressed, "'and they went and reported to their master. "'Then his master summoned him and said, "'You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt "'because you pleaded with me. "'And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant?' as I had mercy on you, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart." Now, some context that the ESV text notes provide, the, the servant owed 10,000 talents. Sounds like a lot, it is a lot. It's approximately 20 years worth of work for a laborer for one talent. So you can check my math, but 20 times 10,000 is about 200,000 years. In other words, it's impossible. No one could pay that kind of a debt by working, by earning it. It's an unpayable debt. When the servant pleads, have patience with me, I'll pay it all back, he can't do it. All he can do is plead. But the good news, is the unpayable debt is covered by Jesus' sacrifice at the cross. What we could never earn, what we could never pay back, our sin, our failures, our rebellion against a holy God who is just, who is perfect, is covered by the sacrifice of his son who took our place. Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died so that we might have life, that we might be forgiven and reconciled to a holy God. That's the good news. However, if we are not willing to forgive someone who sins against us, and again, in Jesus' story, 100 denarii is about four months' worth of work for a laborer. So it's not insignificant. It's, it's some money, but compared to an infinite 200,000 years' worth of hard work, It's nothing. If we're not willing to release someone from what they've done against us, we need to question if we've really understood the enormity of the debt to God that we can't possibly pay, that we've had forgiven. If we're not willing to forgive, Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6.12, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Whose sin is covered? By love, by forgiveness, it's our own. We open ourselves to the forgiveness that God offers as we have extended forgiveness to those who sin against us. Maybe you've never received this forgiveness, this payment of the unpayable debt. You can do so today. John 3.16 famously says, For God in this way loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gift of salvation is offered to whoever would believe, to whoever would receive Jesus' sacrifice in their place. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is available. In a little bit, we'll be sharing communion together. And if you have not yet committed to follow Jesus in all of life, to receive his sacrifice as payment for your sin, you can do so today and you can participate in this remembrance of what he's done for us by shedding his blood and having his body broken. And I would invite you to do that. I would also invite you to share with someone that you've made that decision, that you have decided to follow Jesus in all of life, and to accept His sacrifice as payment of your sins, Romans ten nine says, "If you confess with your mouth," in other words, you share with someone that you're following Jesus, that He is your Lord, He is your Master, He is the one you will seek to serve. If someone comes to you and, and tells you they've made that decision, encourage them, pray for them. If you don't know what to say, bring in someone else. But the point is, we're all called to be ministers. Of the, of the very grace of God. We're all called to serve one another, and there's no exceptions. There's no exemptions. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We are, as we said during the Q&A time, on a missions trip our entire life. You don't have to fly to Guatemala, though we will pray for those who fly to Guatemala. But just by being in this body, you are on a missions trip, and we need to be sober, and focused to be able to fulfill the mission. The other whose sins are covered by love is the sins of a brother or sister who sin against us. We need to forgive, but ultimately they need God's forgiveness. They need to be restored to right relationship with their Savior. And prayer functions in the life of the body in this way let me show you a couple of scriptures that talk about sin being forgiven and covered through prayer. James five sixteen through 20. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And that expression there in James 5.20, a multitude of sins being covered, is exactly the same expression we have used by Peter in our text. Love covers a multitude of sins. There's great power in prayer as we confess our sins one to another and pray for one another. We are healed, we are restored to a right relationship with God and we're able to be sober-minded, focused and good managers of the grace God has given us to share with others. John in his first letter says something similar. John's letter is about love one another God is love, and we should also love one another. And towards the end of his letter, John talks about how we can ask with confidence God because we know we have eternal life, and we know that he hears us. And when we ask according to his will, we will have the request we've asked of him. And the specific request that John talks about in John 5.16, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, He shall ask, and God will give him life. Again, there is the prayer, and there is the answer of life, of a multitude of sins being covered. If someone sins against you, Matthew 18 says, you should approach them humbly, but with love. If you see someone just wandering down a root of sin, forgetting who they are in Christ, becoming intoxicated with cares and toils of this world, Our responsibility is to pray. We get on our knees and lift up our wandering brother or sister in prayer and pray that they will come to repentance, wake up as the prodigal son woke up and realized what was going on. We pray that our brother or sister will wake up and receive the grace of God. And John promises us, if it's a sin not leading to death, that prayer will be answered. Ultimately, it's not up to us to convince, it's up to us to pray. And the same thing applies to those who are outside of the faith, to those who are wandering, who've never been home. We pray is our first and best response. We pray that God will give life. We need one another. We need to be watching out for one another and praying for one another that sin would be covered that we would be earnestly loving, showing hospitality, which gets to the last point. We need one another, and we are called to serve one another for the glory of God. Serve one another for the glory of God. God is glorified as we repent and receive his gracious gift of life. God is glorified as we reflect his image, as the image of Christ is formed in us, as we study his word, as we serve him, as we walk with him. God is glorified in Christ being the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, as Hebrews says. God is glorified as his word is proclaimed, as grace is held out to those who are in need. God is glorified in our love for one another, displayed for the world to see. In John thirteen thirty four and 35, Jesus says, we are commanded to love one another, as Peter writes in chapter 4, verse 8, love one another. And Jesus says, so that all the world will know that you are my followers, that you belong to me. They will know this by the love you have for one another. Peter says to show hospitality to one another without grumbling immediately after commanding us to love. I've received great hospitality from this body of believers. When I was getting to know my wife in 2013 and 2014, I'm looking at some people who hosted me and invited me generously into their home without grumbling and were a blessing to a brother in Christ who was getting to know a sister in Christ. I'm grateful for the hospitality that Big Woods has shown. I'm also grateful for the hospitality of those who have hosted home fellowship groups. And the group I was a part of this past year in particular had a hostess who was very gracious, very generous, made us feel at home and created an environment where we could minister one another and be good stewards of God's grace to one another. That's what this is about. We're called to be serving with the gift we've been given. And as was pointed out in the question and answer time today, every gift is important. The scripture says, as each has received a gift. It doesn't say, if you've received a gift. It says, as each has received a gift. So each of us in the body have a role to play. We're all important. We all need to function together with Christ as the head. A couple chapters later in the Gospel of John, after Jesus tells the disciples that the world will know we are his by our love, Jesus says in John fifteen twelve, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I made known to you. Jesus's stories to Peter... Involve servants, slaves, those in subjection to a master. And that's where we begin. We have to begin with the knowledge that we can't save ourselves. That we owe 200,000 years worth of back wages we can never pay. And all we can do is get on our knees before a holy God and receive the way he has made for us to have eternal life. The sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. It doesn't stop there. As we become his children, we become brothers and sisters of that Lord. We become children of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as we serve one another from his grace, we go from being servants to being friends, to being rulers along with Jesus in the world that is to come. Jesus says in Luke 12 that he will set, the faithful steward, over all of his possessions. He says that he will serve his servants who expect his return. And we see in Revelation the wedding feast of the Lamb, the ultimate destination of glory for all those who've received the sacrifice of Jesus. We begin as servants. We end as sons, daughters, friends, brothers, sisters, his body, his family. And that's what we want to celebrate, the work Jesus has done in bringing us to salvation. Jesus served us by giving up his life on the cross. And God showed that that sacrifice was acceptable. He raised him from the dead, and now the Lord Jesus waits in heaven to return. That's what we remember with the Lord's Supper or Communion. It's a simple yet profound time when we as followers of Jesus Christ humbly acknowledge the presence of the Lord among us, remember his sacrifice on our behalf, and anticipate joyfully his return to earth to reign forever. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three through 26 For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And Paul adds, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Men who are leaders in this church will serve us first, the bread, representing Jesus' body, and the cup, which represents his shed blood. You don't need to be a member of Big Woods Bible Church to receive the bread and the cup. We invite all those who are followers of Jesus Christ who have trusted in his sacrifice as payment in full of their sin and who have committed to follow him in all of life to share the symbol with us together. As we do this, remember that Jesus laid down his life for us, the ultimate act of service, friendship, and love so that we might be reconciled to God, that we might be family, no longer strangers and foreigners to the promises of God, but his beloved children, his family. If you have made the commitment today to receive the forgiveness of sins Jesus offered, please participate in this with us. If you've not yet made that commitment, I would ask that you not take the bread and the cup just because it has meaning due to what we have received. If you've not yet received it, the symbol doesn't have the same weight. So I'd ask, we we welcome you. We're glad you're here at this service, but we would ask you not to participate in this particular symbol at this time, if that's the case. Um, Would the, the men who are going to serve please come forward, and I will pray as they do. Dear Lord, thank you for your sacrifice for us. Thank you for making the way for us to be whole, to be your children, to be first your servants, and then your friends and sons and daughters. Lord, as we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, help us to be sober, serious, considering what it is that you would have us do to serve one another, to be good managers of the grace you've given us. Lord, that we would walk in forgiveness, that we would walk in joy, that we would walk in love. I pray that you bless this sacrament now, this meal, this symbol, this time of celebration. In Jesus' name. Let's eat the bread remembering that the body of Jesus was broken for us. Now we will um, serve the cup representing the blood of the Lord Jesus. Scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world, given for us, by which we can enter into the presence of God and celebrate. Let us remember joyfully Jesus' shed blood as we drink this cup.